Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to this episode of The Colin and Samir Show. Call. What are we talking about? Today, we're going to be talking about the upcoming Streamy Awards and some of the categories and who we think is going to win. Next, we're talking about the Spotify rap results for this year. What were the top podcasts of the year and why? We also answer questions from you guys. We talk about how to deal with feeling lonely as a creator. We also talk about how to make money in podcasting and what to do if your video absolutely tanks. And we actually talk about how to work with a creator if you're a brand, how you should price it. Jam-packed episode. Yep. All right, we're going to get right into it. Hope you enjoy this episode of The Colin and Smear Show. Hello, hello, hello. Man, first time recording in our new office, Colin. Man, is it different. Very different. I can't wait to show all of you yeah. what we're working with here. It's crazy. I mean, for our friends who have come and seen the change, like Arax stopped by with Pizzafy last week, which is his product. And he was just like, kind of like, whoa. Because it's such a stark difference from where we started. For me personally, being in this space is really jarring because this is a two-story studio in an amazing location with a private, you know, parking lot, two bathrooms. Like, it's just like a real space. Nice furniture. Kitchen, nice furniture, natural light, yeah. windows. Like, we've come from working in environments where we just like, whatever we could, whatever space we could get, shooting in your car. During the heart of the pandemic, we shot in an Airbnb you were living at. Like, yeah. there's so many different iterations of this that being here in the studio is so cool and such a crazy, like, what's going on? So we will definitely do a yeah. studio tour once this is done. We're still moving things in. Uh, we're not quite ready to shoot our episodes here yet. We're kind of in limbo, uh, but once we are, we yeah. will show you. And speaking we're, of studio tours, yeah, our last episode was the Mark Rober studio tour. Yep. Our last YouTube video, uh, studio tour with Mark Rober, who's an amazing creator. We also have an interview with him coming out on Monday, but being at his space, it's so interesting how different creators do things so differently. The thing that really struck me about visiting Mark Rober, which you'll hear about in the interview next week, he still edits all of his own videos. That's like a massive creator. And he has employees when you walk into his space, yeah. but they're not editors. They're engineers. Yeah. It's fascinating. Like those are engineers and they're building his, you know, his merchandise company, which is a subscription box called Crunch Labs. But those are not editors. Like when you walk in our space, I mean, almost everyone here is an editor. Yeah, it's very different. It's very different. But that's what I love about YouTube is that there are people who are making careers who they're a chef, but they also have a YouTube channel. Yeah. Or they're a gardener and they have a YouTube channel. They're a carpenter. Like it's so interesting that no matter what you do, you can work on cars, you can review cars. Like there are just so many ways to supplement your career or build an entirely new career by documenting what you're good at or what you love. So speaking of what you're good at, the streamies. Oh, I thought you were going to say this week. Uh, baseball because I went to a batting cage Oh, <laughs> and I've been hitting home runs. Like I am, I have an incredible we, swing and I connect like every time. Man, I, I watched you swing a baseball bat today. It's a little unorthodox. But I'll I hit the that. ball. But you hit the ball. Come yeah, on. hit the ball. So we just did our merch shoot. Um, our merch is live. We quietly dropped it only through the newsletter, which was really cool to see how well it did. It will be publicly dropped shortly. Yeah, I mean, it's, the site is public, but 
but it's still secret. But are we just shot our ad today? So just wait till we till the ad comes out. But I was talking about the streamies. So the streamies are this weekend. The streamies are on Sunday. So the next time you hear from us, we will know if we are Colin and Samir streamy award winners or Colin and Samir streamy award nominees. <laughs> and uh, we are nominated in the category of education. I'm looking at billboard.com right now, which has a, um, an article about the streamies, Post Malone, Haley Bieber, and more among 2022 Streamy Award nominees. Wow, so we're and more. We're and more, but they left our category out of this oh. article completely. <laughs> I've noticed that. There have been a bunch of publications, I think like Access Hollywood or something, yeah. or Entertainment Tonight put an article out, yeah. and they also left out the learning and education category. Yeah. You know what? It is the least sexy category at the streamies, but yeah. I'm okay with that. All right, so let's talk about the top two awards, like right at the top, creator of the year, show of the year. Let's make some predictions here, Colin. Creator of the year, the nominees are Addison Ray, Eric, Blogilates, Charlie D'Amelio, Dream, Gideon, Logan Paul, Mark Rober, Mr. Ballin, Mr. Beast. Hmm. I That's this is actually really tough. Yeah, I'm gonna say that Dream will win this year just because his face reveal was so unique. Yeah. That's um, true. And I don't know if he's won a streamy before, but it seems like this would be mm -hmm. the year to to give him the streamy for everything he did and the face reveal. I think Gideon also could mm -hmm. win. Gideon was really huge this year, but I think tonally, the, what depends is like Gideon's a little more controversial in tone, but he did do some of the most unique things I've ever seen a creator do. Like him getting his haircut NBA courtside was wild. And like that made national news, you know? And it was really funny. That was like classic mm -hmm. YouTube, you know, somewhat harmless prank. It's just funny. Like he's getting his haircut at an NBA game. Like it's a good time. Yeah. That's classic creator. But at the same time, Dream, I think, expanded well beyond the world of creators. Again, like especially my sister-in-law texted me and was like, what's Dream? I don't, what's going on? I keep hearing about Dream. So when, it, when like any creator goes outside that world with such a big event, with an event that's viewed at, you know, 50% of what the Super Bowl viewership is, that's pretty crazy. And it's like someone taking off a mask. That's crazy. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's really hard to even understand what is the criteria with an award the like creator this. of the year. Yeah, of course. But Who like, was the creator of the year? I like, know. I think you have to say, like, if you were to just pick one creator this year, the obvious is Mr. Beast, but I just don't think Jimmy can get it every year. He got it last year. But again, what's the criteria? It's not like it's the NBA where it's like, oh, this person scored this many points. They did that. They won the championship. It's creator of the year, man. It's like pick one creator this year that was the creator. Yeah. If you Even, really were to pick one, it's Jimmy because like he's on the cover lot. of Forbes. He launched multiple businesses. He's leading the pack when it comes to what it means to be a YouTube creator. You but, know, but launching that's businesses, you saying raising that that's money. what it means to be a YouTube creator, to launch businesses, to be on the cover of Forbes. I'll tell you who I don't think is getting it. Charlie D'Amelio or Addison Ray. Like now, granted, this isn't about being a YouTube creator. It's about being a creator. But Charlie, I feel like has moved past like into the reality show realm and like dancing with the stars. And like, I don't know, it'd be tough for me to see Charlie D'Amelio as, as a true create what I think of as a creator, but I guess you're right. Maybe it's subjective. 
It's completely subjective. Okay, show of the year. Challenge accepted, Michelle Carre. Chicken Chop Date, Amelia de Moldenberg. Good Mythical Morning, Rhett and Link. Hot Ones, I Spend a Day With, Anthony Padilla. In Space with Markiplier. RDC World, Side Talk, Twitch Rivals uh, from WoW Presents. Dude, there's now, some now, heavy hitters. This is a category. There's some heavy hitters in this. I mean, Challenge ex- Accepted was Dynamite this year from Michelle. Chicken Chop Date was, I has, probably has to win this. I feel like it's got to be Amelia with Chicken Chop Date. Yeah, for sure. I, 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 she I'm has like, essentially, if you don't know, like, you know, we covered her on our channel a couple of times, but she started out interviewing rappers and hip hop artists who weren't well known uh, in a written blog and has taken it to video and has essentially created her own version of Hot Ones independently. Like Hot Ones is owned by Complex. Uh, it immediately had access, or not immediately, but it's grown to have access to like all of the biggest celebrities in the world who now go on Hot Ones. But Amelia has done this over the past couple of years just on her own. Like as an independent creator, she's getting Ed Sheeran on, right? Like mm-hmm. that's crazy, the, the level that she's been able to get to independently. So yeah, I agree with you. So in our category, which is education and learning, let me see if it's listed on Deadline Hollywood. <laughs> I'm trying to find some publication that listed our, uh, here we go, learning and education. Big Weird World, Casual Geographic, Colin and Samir, Tom Scott, Veritasium. Big Weird World I hadn't heard of until I checked this out, but I'm so impressed with them. I think they're really great. They're primarily on TikTok. Casual Geographic um, is also like short form vertical content. Tom Scott and Veritasium. Very tough competition here for us. But I will say, if I'm looking at this award and I'm voting. (laughs) You're voting for, drum roll. Tom Scott. No, (laughs) I mean like, Everyone's really talented in this, I, but like I was thinking about this the other day, like should I feel bad about the fact that I, I look at this and I'm like, I think we should win. No. But it's a strange feeling, right? Like the, the, the typical person who is nominated for an award show that the, you know, perspective is like, I'm just happy to be nominated. I, you know. No, everyone just know. says that. Yeah, but everyone just says that. I'm saying that's the perspective that people share. Look, we're putting on suits. I just want to be walking the red carpet. Yeah. If we're there, I want to win. Let's get the streaming. Yeah. I want to win, but I want to share that perspective with everyone. Just like I, I want to win and I believe we should win. And that is like, I don't know this kind of feeling of like, I really feel like we, we pushed the boundaries of what education means this year. Hey man, and I'm like I'm, proud I'm, of it. I'm with you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to convince you. To, <laughs> no, yeah. I'm not. Do you think we should win? Yeah. I choose Veritasium. Right now, but I mean, Veritasium, great channel and great guy, <laughs> no, man. Tom Scott. I would like, yeah, I, 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 like I would th- like to win. And if we do win, I won't think it was rigged. I won't feel bad. I will. What are you going to say on stage? How are we going to split this up? Well, I would imagine you're going to, uh, if I think if, you should if, go first, if we win, if we win, I think why? You should go because first. you can't land the plane. Yeah. Because I will take up all the time. You'll take up all the time. Yeah. And you'll be, you'll, you'll give like a short, sweet I'll, thing and yeah. they'll, they'll play me off with the music. <laughs> That's true. I sh- okay. If, if we win, I'll talk first. Yeah. Yeah. That's keep, all I'm going to say. I'll keep it short because I need time. I always keep it short. Yeah, I know, but I'm going to need some time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Should we get to a question? We have a lot to cover today. Yeah. Um, I want to get to this question. So this question posted in our subreddit um, from 
Ursa, I don't even know. I can't. Ursa Teresa, Ursa Teresa podcast. How does podcasting make money? Does it work like YouTube AdSense where you make money as people listen? And can episodes be seen as investments that make you money over time? I've been putting in a lot of work into my podcast. The industry itself is growing. So I'm wondering what's the best way that has worked for you to monetize. Okay, so here's something really interesting. We've been doing this podcast since 2018, meaning this feed, if you go back all the way time to the first episode, that's in 2018. We didn't make any money from this podcast, like this podcast feed until this year. Yeah. This year was the first time we made money from this podcast. And we had some pretty great episodes back then. You think about, we had Yes Theory on when they had Mm -hmm. around 700,000 subscribers. We had Matt Diavella on when he had maybe 100,000 subscribers. Mm -hmm. We had some pretty interesting creators uh, as they were getting started. Yeah, 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 totally. I mean, and so now when, when you talk about that, so how did we make money? We made money by joining a podcast network, which is the LinkedIn podcast network. So you guys see it on our, on our artwork. Um, and the LinkedIn podcast network sells ads to advertisers. And you guys hear us reading them sometimes. And sometimes you hear other people reading them. You'll probably hear it in this episode. And those ads are placed dynamically. What that means is those ads are kind of placed like YouTube AdSense, where not only will you hear an ad that we read in this episode, the newest episode, but if you listen to our oldest episode, you'd hear it there too. So it's playing across the entire library of podcasts. So what Colin's mentioning is that earlier on, we would, you know, we did interview a lot of these creators. And if those episodes are good, which some of them still carry, they get listenership today. As new people find our show, they go back and listen. The advice that most people give is that you want to keep your format really similar for the show so that when someone does discover your show, they can go back and listen to it as a full catalog. How I Built This is a great example of this. You listen to How I Built This, a brand new episode someone sends you and you're like, man, I love this show. You could listen to 10 that day and it would be, you know, essentially the same. And dynamic insertion allows you to play ads throughout that entire catalog. So- That typically happens when you join a podcast network. The other way is Anchor. Anchor is a platform that's owned by um, Spotify. I will say the CPMs are really low when it comes to podcasting. They're very different from YouTube. Or even if you're getting a $25 CPM, which, which is a really, it's a good CPM in podcasting, you do need to be driving a lot of viewership for you to make significant money. I mean, sorry, a lot of listenership. And discoverability is way different in the podcasting space. Yeah, it's not search-based really. No, and it's not algorithmic either. You make a great episode, sure, people can share it via Twitter, Instagram, whatever, message it to a friend. But, you know, the, the amazing thing about YouTube is that, like, the data informs the platform Yeah, immediately uh, mm-hmm. as to, like, how many other people would be interested in this. And that doesn't necessarily happen with podcasts, so it can be a lot more difficult to grow and get to a yeah. scale where you can monetize uh, again, at a scale that will actually like push the needle for you. I do think when it comes to podcasting, audiences are very different. So what you're talking about is like from an algorithmic perspective on YouTube, we're building all of our content to go out into the sea of YouTube and hopefully be discovered. In podcasting, we're really creating for all of you, the people who are, you know, waiting for an episode or clicking on an episode because they like the Colin and Samir show. I mean, today Spotify Wrapped came out. It's really crazy to me to see 
like where we're number one for someone from the podcast, like the, yeah. like the amount of minutes they listened to of us and that we were their number one podcast. I mean, that's, that's incredible to me. And I would say this audience is, I feel a relationship with this audience in a different way than YouTube. Like I feel like I know you guys in a, in a way different way. Because it's harder for all of you to seek us out. Yeah. Right. You actually have to intentionally come here and listen yeah. to us. And yeah, I mean, today was the day that Spotify wrapped came out and it was like Christmas morning for podcasters. Okay. Before you go there, I just want to finish answering this question. How do you monetize? So joining a podcast network is one joining anchor is another where you could run ads, but the, 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 the ads do come in really low. Like I think we ended up in like two years of time, we made like $2,000 on anchor. So if you do want to just like collect you know, they'll basically what they'll do is they'll send you ads that you can read and they'll dynamically insert them into your, so like, also you, you may can, have you totally way more listenership than we did, than we did at the back time. Then. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And the other, the other way that you can do it, which is something that we've been talking about is like, you, you can also sell sponsorship directly into your podcast. It's harder. You have to build a media kit. You have to go out and you have to say, these are my listeners this is how often I post. You can sell an exclusive partnership. But the, the podcasts that are really monetizing, like the true monetization path is joining a network or, you know, having really high viewership and being able to sell your own ads. Also, yeah. if I'm starting a podcast, I'm thinking heavily right out of the gates what my strategy for video and YouTube is going to be. Yeah. I think like, why yeah, not? Yeah. If you're able mm -hmm. to do it in a low lift way, start experimenting with having a YouTube channel for the podcast. I think what's really interesting is... Um, the people who are now putting video on Spotify. Like at first I was a little kind of like turned off by it and hesitant, but now starting to see it, I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. This is interesting. And you know, you look at, first of all, if you're new here, uh, what's interesting is like, I'm right now looking at our top episodes of the year. Want to play a game, Colin? I hate this guessing game. Please don't make me play this game. What are our top five episodes on this RSS feed? Cause mm. what's funny is they're different from YouTube. Number one, Mr. Beast. Number one, our interview with Reed. Ah. The nearly impossible job of managing Mr. Beast. Number two, our interview with Mr. Beast. Nope. Cody yeah. and Noel. Number three, our interview with Mr. Beast. Yep. Okay. There we go. Number four, Hassan Minaj. Number five, Tommy Innit. So all, all interviews that we've done with different creators, you know, on this feed, but really interesting to see. It doesn't match YouTube. You know, very different. Yeah. All right. Now, Spotify Wrapped came out. A lot of you tagged us, which was truly amazing and really exciting. Who was in your Spotify wrapped, Colin? Oh, wow. We're going to go there? Yeah. I what mean, do you want? Music? music? Oh, do you think that's too revealing? No, no, no. But music or podcasts? Start with podcasts. Okay. So my top five podcasts of the year. Number one is not technically a podcast, and this was kind of annoying to me. It's a 12-hour <laughs> sound machine that I use to fall asleep. And it's unfortunate because now I only get to know three or four of my top podcasts. Number two, which is technically my number one, is Smartless. Right. Listen to a ton of Smartless this year. Number three, The Colin and Samir Show, which is a bit narcissistic, but I think it's just studying. I just go back and I listen to our episodes to make sure they're good. Number four, Armchair Expert with Dax Shepard. And number five, the Joe Rogan Experience. Oh my God. We were above like two podcasts for you? Yeah. Isn't that strange? Yeah. That means like I, I <laughs> did a lot of listening. I mean, uh, our, to our show. Yeah. I mean, our show was in my, uh, wrapped as well, but impulsive was number one. I listened to a lot of impulsive shout out, uh, to Logan and Mike, um, BFFs was number two, which is Josh Richards and Dave yeah. Portnoy. I can't get that out of my Spotify. Yeah. I try my best to not listen to that and I get sucked into it. Okay. Um, 
Number three was Smartless. Number four, Flagrant, Andrew Schultz. Hey. And number five, The Colin and Smear Show. <laughs> Which I is have crazy. no traditional creators on my, on my podcast list here. Interesting. Wow. Interesting. But All right. the top podcast globally on Spotify, number one, Joe Rogan Experience. Number two, Call Her Daddy with Alex Cooper. Number three, Anything Goes with Emma Chamberlain, which just became Dude, that's Spotify exclusive or will be next that year. That was number three? That's number three. That's crazy. Phil DeFranco was talking about it on YouTube today. He was just wondering, what's the gap between Anything Goes with Emma Chamberlain and the Joe Rogan experience, which is considered the most listened to podcast, right? Uh, like, the gap is likely in the, in the millions. Large. Large. Yeah. Yeah. The gap is likely in the millions. But, you know, have you ever seen the Seth Godin bit on ice cream flavors yes like the number one ice cream flavor is vanilla and the delta between vanilla and chocolate is immense huge it's massive and the delta between chocolate and the next one is massive yeah and so like being one two and three doesn't necessarily mean you're in the same category Mm -hmm. you know but i mean you're you're in the upper echelon of course you're in the top one percent but the gap is probably significant i just loved seeing that there were two creators to really like digital first creators mm-hmm. uh, at the top of that list. Number four was Kazo 63, which is a scripted Spotify original. Oh, uh, and Crime Junkie. Yeah, and then Crime Junkie at number five. So um, with Anything Goes with Emma Chamberlain, I know that part of the deal that we covered in the published press um, is that she's going to be adding video mm. to it on Spotify. And you're going you're gonna to have it feel kind of more like, like Emma's YouTube channel. Like she's going to be most frequent in video form on Spotify now. Think about that. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? That's really something that, uh, that's a huge value prop that's a for huge, her fans. That's a huge like, value prop to be on Spotify. Yeah. You want Emma Chamberlain on video once a week, download Spotify. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. I think that's, that to me, my curiosity goes to how or when does YouTube take podcasting a little bit more serious? And I think they already are. And go exclusive and, with certain yeah, people. And, yeah, and, I and think. Start to say like, you know, because YouTube music is downloaded by a lot of people. Um, we now have YouTube premium, which is a real luxury. Yeah. And like now I'm listening to shows on YouTube premium. Same. And I just wondered like w- with that premise that Emma Chamberlain was number three, how is that show not a YouTube Show. Yeah, I don't know what the economics are, but I think like from an optics perspective, from a, you know, having a connection to the creator perspective, it feels like YouTube should be making exclusive deals for next year. You think about impulsive, flagrant. I mean, because the thing is Spotify could come in and make offers, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know if those, those like, I don't know if impulsive or flagrant would do it. Maybe they would, but I can't, think like, they, can I you think, even really imagine a no. world where impulsive isn't on YouTube? No, I can't think about imagine how much world. it helps all of their separate channels. Uh, yeah. I also, yeah, I think they're too like ecosystem based there on YouTube, but I also think they're so like search is so important to them, you know, mm-hmm. to both of those podcasts to flagrant. That they understand. Yeah. I, I found flagrant through YouTube, right? Then I started listening on Spotify. Course, but yeah. discovery is just not possible. I don't think at that at that scale on Spotify. So I think if if discovery matters to you as a show, you're going to be on YouTube. But but it'll be interesting to see. So another interesting thing about this top list of podcasts on Spotify. This is a global list, and Easy. all of these are in English. Wow. 
So only Kazo 63, the scripted one, is translated or dubbed into different languages. Mm. And I saw a tweet from Dan Runcie today, who uh, runs a great newsletter called Trapital, and he was saying the huge opportunity in podcasts is going to be people who offer podcasts in multiple languages. Mm. Just the fact that it's crazy that the top five yeah. are primarily all in English. Yeah, that is really interesting. My mom, I was just on the phone with my mom, um, and she was telling me that there's a new podcast in India um, that's made by this like Bollywood family who's doing essentially red table talk. It's mm-hmm. like the grandmother, uh, the the mother and the daughter all at the, at one table doing a podcast and um, how revolutionary it is in India. But the first question I had was like, wait, are people listening to podcasts in India? And my mom was like, I guess so. I guess it's starting because it's, it's half in Hindi, half in English. I was like, oh man, that's going to, that's going to dominate. Yeah. That's going to be huge. So, yeah. I mean, and then you look at the top artists, uh, most streamed artists globally, and you've got BTS on -hmm. there from South Korea. You've got Bad Bunny, right? So it's like a much more Mm -hmm. uh, global list. And then you come over to podcasts and it's just like primarily English speaking Americans. Right. But I think podcasting is also very US based from a creation standpoint, but the radio was not just US based, right? Like these countries have a history of storytelling through audio. I think the question is like in India, I think the internet has caught up, like data has caught up over there. And now that's going to change a lot. All right. I'm going to play a video question from the subreddit. What's up, Colin and Samia? It is Ben here from Australia. And my question to you is about loneliness in the creative world. It's something that I've been dealing with for a while now. And it's it's really starting to throw me off track and put me behind. Um, so essentially something you said last week in one of your episodes was that creators don't need more creativity, they need more deadlines. And as a solo creator, um, I think that rings really true to me, you know, because all my deadlines are completely fabricated. They're not real, right? It's all completely self-motivating 24-7 when I wake up in the morning. No one's relying on me to do anything. It doesn't really matter if I don't upload. Um, And it feels very lonely and it's actually super tough and it's kind of making me think about doing alternative routes. Um, I do make a living off YouTube. I'm very grateful for that. Um, However, I don't know what the future holds because I'm feeling very lonely as a creator. So what would your advice be? This has got to be a very common thing, you know, when it comes to a solo creator. So first of all, Ben, I just want to say thank you so much for sharing. I think just the mere fact that you are sharing is probably making people who are in your same position feel less alone. And, you know, the the high level of this is like, I don't have personal experience here because Colin and I have always been partnered in this career. But I think Ben brings up a few different points that are really interesting. One is the notion of creatives needing deadlines, but him feeling like all of his deadlines are self-imposed because he he works solo. The other side is um, creators being lonely, or Ben specifically being lonely, in that he works completely by himself. And he's thinking about hiring an editor just to quell that. So how do other creators deal with this or how would you deal with this as a creator? I think there's an interesting added element there is that uh, Ben makes a living. He specifically said, I make a living off of YouTube, which is great. And I think that is an amazing thing and like an incredible accomplishment, obviously. But I think the fact that you start to maybe second guess the career as Ben's talking about um, because you don't like it anymore 
or parts of it, you start to feel lonely. It's a really weird dynamic when you're like, wait, I wanted to make money expressing myself and I'm doing it and it's working. But is this actually not what I want? Mm, yeah. It almost hurts harder, right? When yeah, you've like, sure. you've figured it out and then you're like, well, actually, is, did I just build the career that I don't want? It can get, it can be harder to give it up and to actually go to a different route. Um, I would, if I was in Ben's position, start to test out and hire people on a project basis and start to see, is there anyone that I really connect with on a chemistry level where I would want to see them four days a week or three days a week and I trust them and that's going to take time to find that person. Mm -hmm. But I would start the process of, of working uh, with people on different projects and setting deadlines on those projects so that you know, the person who you bring on also is accountable. You're, you're held yeah. accountable together. And just mainly to see, again, like, do you like working with this person? Because that's the toughest thing. You'll still feel lonely if you have people around you that you don't like working with. And that can feel even worse. Yeah. Right? So I think yeah. it's really just about, like, you're actually looking for a creative partner. Yeah, I think, it just totally. Takes- I think you're looking for creative camaraderie. Mm-hmm. And that might also come from, you know, so the, the Emma in our subreddit came in and, and commented on this as well, suggesting finding an accountability buddy or a group of creators to talk to. And I do think that that is an interesting path. You know, the calls that we get on with other creators, I always find it really nice to know what other people are going through or even just connect on things. Mm-hmm. And, and one thing that's really great in those calls is we share kind of highs and lows and what's going well and what isn't going well. And I think some of that stuff is really important because I I can't imagine what it would feel like. Like, you know, we released our Mr. Beast documentary, right? And it, and it did really well. And there was a great reaction to it. And what was cool was we, we got to share that as a team and, you know, as creative partners and being like, damn, that was awesome. Right. You know, or when we crossed a million subscribers, the fact that we were both on stage together and we got to look at each other and be like, damn, dude, this is crazy. Um, You're looking to create milestones that you can actually talk about later, mm-hmm. right? To like reference points for this career. Yeah. And a lot of times you're going to need other people to be there with you yeah. to have shared reference points that you can talk about or else you truly do feel alone, right? If you're like, that thing was great that happened or that thing was tough, it's but a, I have no one to tell it to. I think, uh, you know, first and foremost, it is a lonely career. It is it's, uh, to be a solo creator. And I think even when you and I were making you know, a, a somewhat of a living the best we could, um, being like creatives, that was probably the loneliest I ever felt during that time where it was you and I, and we would go and we weren't like fulfilled by the creative work we were doing. Yeah. But I remember at that time feeling like, um, there were certain projects that were big projects where we would need to bring on team. And that was very fun. And even though that was tough and really difficult, I agree. I loved, uh, some of those experiences because it was like all of a sudden we brought this team together for two to three weeks to work on it. Yeah. And then I just remember feeling so alone after those would be over. Yep. You know, and we're talking in the context of freelance work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's, yeah. And it's maybe different. that's, you know, Ben, maybe that's an idea, like bring on editors for projects, come up with projects and come up with deadlines for those projects to say like, I'd like to shoot this on this day. I'd like it to be edited on this day. And I'm going to bring you on to help me. And then you can test people out and see what it feels like. So two pieces of advice that we would have are one, uh, try your best to find, you know, an accountability group or 
partner. Just reach out to someone. Hopefully, maybe there's someone in our community who's interested in this and would love to, to be your accountability buddy. Get on calls and and have some uh, framework to that. Talk about highs and lows. Talk about how things are going. Maybe even start a Slack channel and just chat during the day about how things are going. Um, and then the other side is like bring on people to help with projects so that you can develop projects where you can have creative camaraderie. The, the last thing I'll say is like maybe evaluate if you have any additional time, can you pick up a shift somewhere or like help other people on their creative projects to develop some community and some, some collaboration? You know, can you go be a camera operator on someone's project? Can you go, you know, work on someone else's project to just feel that sense of creative camaraderie? Mm-hmm. It's a great question though. And uh, if you guys want to pop in and, and chat with Ben, he's ninja-ben on Reddit. All right. This is from Ethan. He put this in through the newsletter, through the published press. Hey guys, I'm a big fan. Thanks, Ethan. You've talked a few times about brand deals and partnerships from the creator perspective. My question is, as a brand, how do you go about finding and creating good relationships with creators? And more specifically, How do you know what a good amount is to offer for a sponsorship? Going too low could be offensive to the creator and could make you never work with them again. And if you offer too much, are you spending more than you need? Love y'all's content. Keep doing what you're doing. I would say on that one point about going too low can be offensive. I'm sure that's going to vary from creator to creator. Personally, like I'm not offended, right? I'm just like, that's not the right match, right? Like this is not the right time. This is not the right place. We're not right for each other. If someone sends like, for me, if someone sends something low, unless like they're speaking to us or in a way that feels like they're like pushing us around or something like, like I would only be offended I, I if, someone like, if someone was like, matured to that. someone was, if someone was like, I think I've matured to that point, but I, I don't, I don't think that I, I definitely have felt offended by brand deal offers, especially when you're on the phone with the brand and you're talking and you feel like you're aligned and they send you a low offer. Like it, it doesn't feel good. You don't want to go back and collaborate with that brand. And I agree, there's just mismatched expectations. Yeah. But you don't really have like a really positive feeling towards that brand. I think what you need to do is figure out what the market rates are for the types of creators you want to work with. So first of all, identify the types of creators you want to work with. And then as a brand, it might be really helpful at first to go out and work through an agency. It's, it's not always the best option, but a lot of brands go out and work through an agency to say, hey, can you help me figure out uh, how much I should how, how much I should pay these yeah. creators? Because they know the market rates, and I think that context is really beneficial. You know, for us, like we have agents at United Talent Agency, and uh, when we get offered something, they know what the market rate is for that. Yeah, it is right? a really nice sense of security. It's super nice because they're like, hey, that's that's lower than we've seen other people get, or hey that's higher, you know, that's, that's a really good deal that they're offering you. And you have this sense of security of like, oh, cool. That's great. So I think from both the brand and the creator side, working through agencies, if you're a brand space station integrations is a great agency to go reach out to. We used to do a lot of deals with them. I always felt good about that. And you also don't risk your relationship with the creator. The agency plays that role, you know, and, and a lot of people are anti middlemen, but what I think you recognize is so much of our business has to do with relationships and middlemen actually play a buffer. Sometimes they can slow things down. Sometimes it's very frustrating to work with middlemen, but they play this really healthy buffer to keep the relationship positive between creator and brand or 
you know, partner, even creative partners, because you can just speak through them. And I know that I would say a different version of myself would be like, do everything independent, don't deal with agents, go directly to the creator. But the concerns that you've brought up, I think those can be solved by an agency. Yeah. And again, at the end of the day, they have a macro perspective of what's happening in the industry. Um, so, you know, right. often as a creator, you don't, yeah. even if you have someone on your team, they're not working across tons of brands and tons right, of creators right. at any given moment. So it's helpful from the creator or the brand side. Agreed. Now we do, like, I would say we do work with a mix of brand direct and agency, you know, and we do a lot of brand direct, meaning where like when we first started, we were just dealing directly with the reps at the brands. And if you're concerned about a lowball offer, let the creator ask first, you know, like we would pitch our rates first to the brands and then they would react to them. So yeah, good question. All right. Kenzo. Hey, Colin and Samir, congrats on the 1 million subscribers. My question is, do you guys know anyone that is currently in the TikTok Pulse program and if they're making a decent amount of money from the ad revenue share? I live in the UK and I cannot wait to get that feature here because as you know, the TikTok creator fund is a bit meh. Thank you. you don't know anyone in the, in the Pulse program? The Pulse program, if you're unaware, is TikTok's ad revenue share program. Mm -hmm. So it came, I think, shortly after YouTube announced theirs. YouTube Shorts. YouTube Shorts kind of beat them to the punch there with revenue share on Shorts and then TikTok announced Pulse. Uh, it, it is a new thing and I, like Samir, do not know anyone currently. Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with YouTube Shorts and TikTok Pulse. Shorts monetization is going to roll out in February. There was a short that I sent you, Colin, of me speaking Hindi to Mr. Beast that has 18 million views. Which is a clip from it's a clip. our episode. Yeah, it's a clip from our episode. Not our short, but I wonder what they're going to do. I guess like copyright, like there's two sides of this, right? One for me, I look at it, I'm just like, damn, that's crazy. That's like a huge amount of viewership on our video or like something of our video. But on the other side, once ad revenue starts to get shared, I think personally, I'm going to feel a little bit like, wait a second, that's 18 million views on one of our clips. Yeah. I hope they roll out content ID so that we could claim those types of clips, but it's going to be hard in short form vertical content. You know, like yeah. that's going to be hard. You know, I, I think just to get back to the TikTok Pulse thing, I've been thinking about this the last couple of days on the heels of uh, Ashley Alexander actually talking about her deals that she got with TikTok and Instagram yeah. and how a lot of times the rates for her can be pretty comparable. Yeah. Uh, but it's a lot less work. That's on the brand deal side. But for me, when I was hearing that from her, it just made me realize how little I actually know about, about TikTok. Yeah, monetizing on TikTok and on Instagram. Yeah. We right? should try and make a TikTok account and make money from it. And, and try and, and I mean, chronicle. we have a TikTok account. Yeah, but I'm like- A different one? I'm overwhelmed by that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm overwhelmed. Like, what do we post on TikTok, you know? Yeah, I, I just think, yeah. you know, you can only be a student of so many platforms and the best way to be a student is to actually post the content, use it, try and make money off of it. And yeah. when we get questions like this, I just realize how little we know about making money on TikTok. Or Instagram. Yeah. I mean, we did a video a while ago of like how much money people made on TikTok. That was an awesome video. We should do a follow-up, like learning about mm -hmm. it or like diving deep into that. I would love to do that. All right. To a final question here. Is it possible to rescue a 10 out of 10? Comes from the subreddit. Hey, Colin and Smear. I so, so I published a video today and it absolutely bombed. Ranking 10 out of 10, far below anything I've published recently in terms of performance with a CTR of less than 4%. 
It's looking like it'll die a lonely death, victim of YouTube's overlords and my somewhat brave slash dumb decision to try something different. My question is, is there any way of rescuing a video in this situation? I spent a solid week editing it and I'm proud of the outcome. It's different than what I normally publish, but a genre of video that I wish to pursue. It's a pivot, so to speak. I also believe strongly that if I can get it in front of an audience, they'll enjoy it. Should I try a title thumbnail overhaul or perhaps be patient? Maybe it'll grow in time. Or do I delete it and repost it with a totally new set of keywords, description, title, thumbnail, et cetera? I would love to hear your thoughts, Colin and Tamir, or anyone in the subreddit that has any advice. So this reminds me almost exactly of what Jarvis Johnson told us. Uh, in our in our interview with him, if you go back and watch it, he says that, you know, as he was growing as a creator, he pivoted his content. He started out by making videos uh, about the life of uh, a software engineer, right? Software engineering. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then he wanted to pivot to comedy and commentary style videos. And, you know, he put out the first one and... That he put out the first one that was slightly different, and YouTube told him, you know, your audience isn't resonating with this one as much, and he was getting really low CTR, uh, was not getting a lot of viewership, and he was like, yeah, that, I guess that's right, that's the point, because I was making a different style of video than I was in the past, and it sounds like this is a similar situation. You've chosen to do something different, and your videos will get served to uh, the audience that has historically liked your content, which can be your subscribers, and so. If it's different from a thumbnail perspective and the content is different, then your YouTube right at the beginning is giving it to people who aren't ready for that. Mm -hmm. So it may take time to find the right audience. Like it may be getting a subset of data from a different type of people that are enjoying it and it will start serving it to those people. And over time it could take off, but... That's not to say you also can't change the title on the thumbnail to make it better. Yeah, I mean, I would think about like if this is for a slightly different audience that you made, then how can you title and thumbnail it to be a direct hit for that audience? You know, it's funny. We talk about things in terms of like one out of tens and ten out of tens, and like I listen, I feel like I got punched in the stomach every time we have a ten out of ten. But one of the interesting things that I I'm really enjoying about that. We Colin and I are working with a new uh, uh, thumbnail consultant. And as we're talking through some of these thumbnails, I'm really interested in repackaging some of our older videos, like changing titles and thumbnails to Mm -hmm. give them longer uh, lifespans. And I think sometimes that can work. We just saw this week, Mr. Beast changed uh, one of his thumbnails for the fifth time. And the thing that's interesting is that, you know, it, that video did not perform well from his standards, right? It was a 10 out of 10, uh, he's been changing the thumbnails. He hasn't. He, he's tried to figure out how to get it right. But across those five thumbnails, he saw a twenty-five percent increase in views, um, which was an additional ten million views for him. That video is sitting at fifty-three million views, which is the lowest for him in the past ten videos. But if we start thinking about things in terms of viewership, Mr. Beast aside, you know. If that new experiment that you put out got 10,000 views, 5,000 views, 1,000 views, like however many people watched it and enjoyed it, try to focus on them. They might want, if you enjoyed making it and those people wanted to see it again, over time, like that might net out in a really positive light if you just keep focusing on that type of video. That might not be a 10 out of 10 in, you know, a while from now. Mm-hmm. But I do think it, we we oftentimes forget that those are real people watching our videos. 
like if a thousand people watch your video or a hundred people watch your video, it's a lot of people to sit down and watch your work. Like you, you, if I went outside right now and tried to gather a hundred people to watch me do something creative, I couldn't do it, you know, but you can do it on the internet and that's crazy. So I would just say like, if you're experimenting and trying something different, part of experimentation is going to be that like, it's going to take time to find viewership. We can't expect that one experiment's going to net out in a really positive way. And some ideas have lower ceilings than others. And I think that's also important, you know? Yeah. So best of luck. I would urge you, the most important thing is if you enjoyed making it, keep experimenting. All right, Colin. We should probably wrap it up. We got to wrap it up. I got to go to improv. Yeah, you got to go to improv. Um, we're getting Slack messages about how cool our um, merch footage is, which I really would love to see. And I'm going to leave it with a message from someone uh, who DM'd us on Twitter who would like to put out a message to all of you. His name is Oscar. Hey guys, I'm out here in Doha, Qatar for the World Cup. I wanted to know if there's any other creatives out here. Wanted to know if you could put out a word and see if there's any creatives that you can put me in touch with from around the world or anybody from your channel, anybody that enjoys your channel. Uh, please let me know. Love to create with some of you guys. Peace. All right, so Oscar, one of our subscribers, is in Doha, Qatar right now for the World Cup. If you are there, if you are listening to this from there or you know someone who's creative, DM Oscar. Uh, we'll put it in the description because I don't remember what his Instagram handle is. We'll put it in the description of this podcast. DM him. He'd love to create with you. And if any of you do connect with Oscar, let us know. Please let us know. Because this yeah. story is to be continued. And uh, you will find out if we are streaming winners by the time we talk to you next. All right. See ya. Right.